0: Guests have reported hearing footsteps on the stairs, the sounds of children playing, and a grand piano that inexplicably repeats the same haunting chord over and over again, until someone enters the room. You may not get the best night's sleep at this B&B, but it's sure to be a memorable experience.
1: The Majors Plantation. Station is recognised as one of the most haunted houses in America, according to the National Geographic. Would you dare to stay the night? Join us in this week's episode as we explore the ghost story surrounding Louisiana's infamous Myrtle's Plantation. Hi, my name's Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich, and welcome to this week's episode where we head back to the USA
0: for one of the famous ghost stories, and ghost houses. I'm excited to do this one.
2: Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see... And the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings.
0: First, let me say that this was truly an amazing experience me and my boyfriend stayed here a few months back in the beginning of september right after labor day it was a spontaneous trip as we were road tripping through the southern u.s and both have a love for the paranormal we found the recommendation for this place online through a number of different websites and decided to take the plunge the staff was incredible We had an amazing tour with Abby, creepy and informative, allowed us to explore the grounds unchecked, and when we needed them, they were there to answer any questions we might have. That is until the shifts end, and the night begins. We were the only people staying overnight, in addition to one other couple, coincidentally stationed right next door to our Oleander room. After most of the staff head out, we stumbled to the bar to exchange stories with one another, and the amazing bartender who served us, and the owner of the plantation, drinks until we were ready to leave. After exchanging numerous stories, the four of us set out on a night of ghost hunting. See, the couple that we were staying with, this is a few months back now, were amateur ghost hunters, with electromagnetic gadgets and whatnots, We roamed the outskirts of the grounds without anyone to stop us, taking readings and pictures and whatever we could. At some point, Tasha showed us a series of pictures she had taken from the front of the plantation. In one of the front windows was clouded by something, I don't know. It looked different from the other front house pictures. At the time, I thought nothing about it. It was a fun night, but uneventful night, beside the fact that we had met two amazing people. But here's the thing. I never get nightmares. Not ever. Since the night terrors of my childhood, I haven't experienced a single nightmare while I sleep. Ever. But, while I was staying here, I had incredibly disruptive dreams. A dream I was living forever and stuck in the fabric of time in this plantation, every day repeating at three twenty-two to three twenty-four a.m. A dream that I had lived my entire life with children and grandchildren, only to learn that one night at three twenty-four, it all reversed back to this one night at the plantation. Every time it struck that hour, I awoke in a cold sweat, something I have never really done before. In one of these lifetimes, I was embraced by a little girl with flying curly hair. The little girl that died of typhoid? She wasn't explicitly redhead. Who was so afraid and wanted to get me away from something, followed by a boy beckoning me by the outside porch near the game room. After every one of these dreams, I would wake up gasping for breath and feeling quite uneasy, which, as I said before, is quite unlike me. We woke up the next morning to Tasha showing some employees the photos she had taken the night before, and lo and behold, the one with the strange form in the front window she had taken the night before were almost as good a quality as the postcards I was selling out the front with the ghost of the little girl standing in the window. So all in all, this was, I believe, a haunted place that I have stayed at. The staff were really amazing. If you are ghost curious, then you should be kind of ecstatic that most of the staff leaves for the night. And wow, Hester, this woman is the epitome of Southern hospitality. I almost didn't want to leave. And our soundscape today comes from TripAdvisor, would you believe? That was Korak118 wrote a, view, a review back in January 2016. Um, and yeah, she she had a fantastic experience, but she's a damn good sleeper apparently and she was very adamant she had to tell everyone what a great sleeper she was
1: i've never used uh, a whatnot. haven't you <laughs> oh, you don't know talk. what you're missing in life <laughs> Do you sell whatnots?
0: Oh, I do, but they're very expensive. You can't afford them. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they take batteries that you can't find anymore.
1: Yeah, that'd be right. The whatnot battery. Yeah, and for
0: all your Oz Paratech needs, for all your ghost hunting equipment <laughs> in Australia, head to ozparatech.com.
1: That's O-Z-P-A-R-A-T-E-C-H. I will take any opportunity to have a plug. Uh, absolutely. Let's go for it. Now, I'm going to dip a little bit into the history of myrtles, the Myrtles Plantation was actually constructed by a gentleman called David Bradford all the way back in 1794. That's about the very first years that Australia was. Um, 1776 was yeah. discovered? Well, it's always been here, but by, by Captain <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, look at that.
0: Oh, <laughs> it just went, oh, <laughs> and it just appeared. <laughs> it was never, never there been- before. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's never been shall I, shall I say Australia was dis- discovered by the disruptive white man? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> reset, go again. 1794. And since that time has allegedly, it's been the scene of 10 murders at least. Oh, wow. Did you know that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so Bradford was. So much death. I know. Violence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So Bradford was actually one of five children born um, to Irish immigrants in America. And in 1777, he actually purchased a tract of land and a small stone house near Washington County, Pennsylvania. Now, he became a successful attorney and a businessman. And deputy attorney general for the county and he married Elizabeth Porter in 1785 and they started a family. Now his family and his business grew and Bradford decided that he needed a larger home and so he built one in the town of Washington. Now the house became really well known in the region for its size and for the craftsmanship that went into making the house, especially with a mahogany staircase and woodwork that was imported from England. So this bloke had a bit of money. He had a bit of dosh, huh? Mm. And so many of the items in the house were transported from the East Coast and over the Pennsylvania mountains at great expense. That would have been a job and oh, a half. Yeah. Yep. So he... He wanted to show his importance in the world. Absolutely. And he used to use his front parlor as an office, and this is where he would meet clients. But... Unfortunately, he wasn't to spend an enjoyable long time in the house because in October 1794, he had to flee and leave his family behind because he became involved in the infamous Whiskey Rebellion. Ooh. And you know what the Whiskey Rebellion was? Oh, about whiskey? Yeah. Oh, it must be clever. (laughs) The government was a little bit short of money. And they decided to tax whiskey. <gasps> How dare they? There was a revolt. What's the tax in, on it alcohol became, in Australia
0: today? It's like 600% or something. It became revolting. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is one thing I'm jealous of. you go to America, you can buy a bottle of vodka for $7. Over here, it's 70 Yeah. Not that I buy vodka a lot, but.
1: <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and so. He had to leave and leave his family behind. And apparently George Washington, who was the president at the time, placed a price on his head because he had uh, a large role in that affair. Now, after leaving Washington, Bradford first went to Pittsburgh and he eventually settled in or at the Bayou Serra, near what is now St. Francisville, Louisiana, He there purchased 600 acres of land, again, money allowing him to Mm -hmm. do that. That's a fair bit of land there, uh, and built a modest eight room home near Baton Rouge, which he called Laurel Grove. Now, he lived there alone until 1799, and then he received a pardon um, for his role in the Whiskey Rebellion from the new president, John Adams. Apparently there were some favours going on there as oh, well. A bit of so, greasy palms, yeah, I would say. So John say. kind of went, you know what, oh, I'll, I'll, yeah. If I just slip you a bit of this, will you uh, yeah. let me uh, have that? So because of this pardon, Bradford, Bradford could then bring his wife and five children back to Louisiana. He continued to take students who studied law with him, and one of them was a gentleman called Clark Woodruff and clark woodruff not only earned a law degree but also he married his teacher's daughter sarah matilda now clark woodruff he was born in litchfield county connecticut in august 1791 And his father was a farmer, but he had grander plans for himself. So he ended up in Bayou Sarah as well. He began his studies with Judge David Bradford. And he earned his degree, but he also fell in love with Bradford's daughter, the lovely Sarah.
0: No wonder he was studying. Mm.
1: And so it's said that their romance blossomed under the shade of the crepe myrtle trees that reportedly gave the home its lasting name. Now the couple were married on November the nineteenth, eighteen seventeen. For their honeymoon, Woodruff took his new bride to the Hermitage, the Tennessee home of his friend Andrew Jackson. That's oh, another name drop there. Mm-mm. Now, after the death of David Bradford, Woodruff managed Laurel Grove for his mother-in-law Elizabeth. He expanded the holdings of the plantation and planted about six hundred and fifty acres of indigo and cotton. And so together he and Sarah. Had three children Cornelia, James, and Mary Octavia. What beautiful Aren't names. They gorgeous. Uh, but again, their happiness was not to last. On July the 21st, 1823, Sarah Matilda died after contracting Aww. yellow fever. Yeah. The disease was to spread through a number of the families and homes through Louisiana in those days, and there was hardly a family in the region where a child or someone close didn't catch the disease and die. It sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. So Woodruff continued to manage the plantation and to take care of his children uh, with help from Elizabeth. On July the 15th, 1824, his only son, James, died of yellow fever. And two months later in September, Cornelia also fell to the disease. Can you tell um, some happy stories please? No, Ramona? not yet, not oh. yet So Woodruff's life obviously would never be the same but he continued to manage the farm with his mother-in-law. She was really quite getting on in age by this time and was happy to just give him all of the duties and she continued to live at Laurel Grove with her son-in-law and granddaughter Octavia until her death in 1830 Now After Elizabeth died, Woodruff turned his attentions away from farming and to the practice of law, and he and Octavia moved away from Laurel Grove and he left the plantation under the management of a caretaker He was appointed to a judge's position in Louisiana and that's kind of where he stayed. So he sold Laurel Grove to Ruffin Grey Sterling. I love that name, Ruffin. So the Sterlings now take over Myrtles and they were a wealthy family. They owned several plantations on both sides of the Mississippi River. On January the 1st, Ruffin Gray Sterling and his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, took over the house, the land, the buildings and all of the slaves that had been bought from Elizabeth Bradford by her son-in-law. So since the Sterlings were leaders in the community, they wanted a house that befitted their social status and they started to remodel Laurel Grove, doubling its size and that is when it officially began to be known as the Myrtles. Aha.
0: Uh-huh. And I learned very quickly that it's not Myrtles apostrophe S, yes, as in Myrtle owns it, but it's Myrtles as in the trees. The trees. Uh, yeah, the crape
1: Myrtles. Yep. So four years after the completion of this project, Sterling died uh, of consumption or tuberculosis, as it, it was known. And see, we all get vaccinations for those things. Now we tend to forget. Yes, we do, don't we? Mm. Mm. (laughs) Let's just leave that there, shall we? (laughs) Yeah. Ping. And um, he left vast holdings in the care of his wife, Mary Cobb, who... Everyone kind of thought she was a little bit masculine in the way that she led things. So I dare say, oh, it's it just wasn't... probably
0: because she was good at doing yeah. what she was doing. So that was masculine. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I don't think people <sighs> liked her, but I, I think it was because she was quite stern. She and, would have and had to have been. Yeah. yeah, she couldn't have been
0: anything but in that time, uh, but appear very tough because any sign of delicateness, she would have had somebody snatch everything away from her. Mm-hmm.
1: And she had to deal with all the tragedy that tragedy that was coming up um, in oh, coming her life. Up? Oh, and, the and more the miserable stories. Yep. Oh, Renata. She had nine children. Only four of them lived to be old enough to be married. Wow. So the oldest son, Lewis, died in the same year as his father. Daughter, Sarah's husband, was murdered on the front porch of the house after the Civil War. And I think there's a bit of a ghost story about that. The war wreaked havoc on the Myrtles and on the Sterling family. Many of the family's personal belongings were looted and destroyed. To make matters worse, Mary Cobb had invested heavily in sugar plantations and they had been ravaged by the war. She eventually lost all of her property and she never let the tragedies of the war and the others that followed overcome her, however, and she held desperately onto the Myrtles until her death in August 1880. Now, on December the 5th, 1865, Mary Cobb hired William Drew Winter, the husband of her daughter Sarah Mulford, to act as her agent and attorney. And eventually, he was the next one to take over um, Myrtles. So, Mary would go on to give William the use of the Myrtles as his home. Times were pretty awful, and Winter was unable to hold on to it. By December 1867, he was bankrupt, and the Myrtles were sold by the US Marshal to the New York Warehouse and Security Company. Now, two years later, the property was sold back to Mrs. Sarah Winter as the heir of her late father, Ruffin G. Sterling. And it is unknown. Uh, just what occurred to cause this reversal of fortune, but it seemed as though things were improving for the family once again. But soon after, tragedy struck again, and in 1871, Winter was teaching a Sunday school lesson in the gentleman's parlour of the house when he heard someone approach on horseback. After the stranger called out to him saying that he had some business with him, Winter went out onto the side gallery of the house and was shot So he collapsed on the porch and died. Sarah was devastated by the incident and she never remarried. She remained at the Myrtles with her mother and brothers until her death in 1878 at the age of 44. So she died when she was 44. Yeah. Wow. So after the death of Mary Cobb Sterling in 1880, the Myrtles was purchased by Stephen Sterling, one of her sons. He bought out his brothers but only maintained ownership of the house for about five, six years, and he went bankrupt again. He squandered the fortune, lost the plantation in playing poker. Oh. Yeah. He sold myrtles to Orrin D. Brooks, and that ended his family's ownership. Brooks kept it until January 1889. And after a series of transfers, it was purchased by Harrison Milton Williams, a Mississippi widower who bought his young son and second wife, Fanny Lintot Harrelson, to the house in eighteen ninety one.
0: That's a fabulous name. I know. <laughs> now, for those in America, Fanny means something very different in Australia. Um, I know you guys have your Fanny packs over there. We um, we call them bum bags, <laughs> which go around your waist, and you've got the little pouch in there, like a kangaroo's pouch. But in Australia, Fanny means your front bottom on ladies. Mm. So I will just put that nicely.
1: Yeah, you learned something new today. So Milton Williams actually went. As uh, in the Civil War, as a fifteen-year-old, to be a Confederate cavalry courier. So, at fifteen, he went 15. to war. Fifteen, yep. So, um, this is the
0: fifteen-year-old boys think they're really tough and they they think they can handle anything, and then they actually face it, and it's terrifying, and they're they're um destroyed for life. Mm-hmm. Different time back there then. Though <laughs> then, so he
1: and his family. Um, which grew to include seven children, kept Myrtles going through the hard times of post of the post-war South. But, but once again, tra- happy news. tragedy oh, strikes not Myrtles not. again. So during a storm, the Williams' oldest son, Harry, was trying to gather up some stray cattle and fell into the Mississippi and drowned. Oh. Shattered with grief, Harrelson and Fanny turned over management of the lost property to their son. And he married a local girl called Jessie Foulkes and provided a home at the Myrtles for his spinster sister and maiden aunt, Katie. Secretly called the Colonel behind her back, Katie was a true Southern character, eccentric and kind, but with a gruff exterior, and she kept life interesting at the house for years. So by the 1950s, the property surrounding the house had been divided among the Williams heirs, and the house itself was sold to Marjorie Munson. An Oklahoma widow who had been made wealthy by chicken farms. <laughs> <Yeehaw>. <laughs> it was at this point, they say, that the ghost stories of the house began. Mm-hmm. They started innocently enough, but soon what may have been real life ghostly incur- occurrences took on a life of their own. Now, don't you cross over into my now, territory, see, woman. See, look, my notes say stop. Oh, it hear. does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> that information comes from. The fabulous Troy Taylor, who has been around for Ever, yeah, and is such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to information. He's about great on his history, yeah. As well, so thank you, Troy Taylor.
0: And I have to say thank you to Troy Taylor as well because I discovered I did all my notes and thinking there's just something missing. I need something more, so I typed in a few more different variations and s- discovered his page and went, oh yes, bingo, <laughs> here we go. I like a bit of controversy. All right, so I'm going to start back even further. than Ooh. Than when it was the Laurels And apparently before it was um, that place It had been previously the site of the Tunica Native settlement Mm -hmm. And a large portion of the land Immediately adjacent to the house Had been a burial ground For the original habitants Mm -hmm. Now I went digging around trying to find more information on that. Can't find anything anywhere. It was only mentioned in one thing, so I can't verify that. Mm -hmm. But why is it these places are always built on a -hmm. a burial ground? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and as you said, there has allegedly (laughs) been 10 murders on the property. Yes. (gasps) Place of death and horror. Uh, And uh, again, as you said, the paranormal activity. Now... They say the activity kicked off in the 1970s, but there is reports that it goes back to the 1950s as well. But what happened in the 1970s? Someone else bought the house? No, satanic panic. Oh,
1: So once again, we
0: find a lot of these stories that we're covering go back to that time frame, and that's when the ghost stories explode. That's true. Because all of a sudden people are looking for them. Yes.
3: Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, maybe take a nap, read a book, or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you Help, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a
0: link for it on today's program guide. So, there is a very famous ghost story and a famous picture that goes with it, right? This is the ghost of Chloe. Mm-hmm. Now, she was supposedly one of the house slaves uh, during the Woodruff's time. And uh, they they claim that uh, the Woodruff... The owner was very cruel and raped his, his um, slaves and treated them poorly. Mm-hmm. So what Chloe used to try to do to protect herself from the abuse is that she would try to eavesdrop in on Woodruff's conversations with his family. So she could change her behavior to not upset him or to tell him what he wants to hear, which is a very clever thing to do. Mm-hmm. But she got caught mm-hmm. eavesdropping. So he then, uh, as punishment, disfigured her Mm -hmm. to make her look ugly so nobody else would ever want her by cutting off her ear. Uh, She used to hide that, though, by wrapping a green turban around her head so it would be down one side so you couldn't see that her ear was missing. Uh, But Chloe wasn't going to let it. Slipped past, and mm-hmm. she made plans for revenge. Revenge on the ninth birthday of Woodruff's daughter, Chloe. Placed poisonous oleander leaves in the birthday cake. Oh. Now she her plan was to poison Mrs. Woodruff and the children she didn't want to murder them that mm-hmm. was not the whole idea she actually wanted to just make them sick so she could nurse them back to health and that they would then look at her as the hero mm-hmm. for saving their children and and the wife mm-hmm. Uh, In the South, local healers were amongst the most respected from the community, and if Chloe could heal the family, she would be safe from a harsh reality of working in the fields because she got sent back out to work in the fields once he disfigured her. Mm -hmm. Tragically, though, where was tragedy, the dosage was lethal and ended up killing Mrs Woodruff and her two children. After word spread of her actions on the plantation, the other slaves were the ones who took revenge, and they hanged Chloe by the neck for everyone to witness until the life drained from her body. She was then weighed down with rocks and thrown into the Mississippi River. Right. Now, a lot of this information came from hauntedwalks.com. Now, there were various stories or versions of this story, uh, but I sort of pulled together what was the most common threads that I could uh Get there now. There is a famous
1: photograph of Chloe. Uh huh. I'm just looking at my notes and it kind of doesn't fit. But anyway, oh, don't, you shush. Might... back off, okay. woman. Right. This is okay. my segment. No, no, You've I'm had just, your chance. I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> it just, it shush, just... Shush. okay. Shush. All
0: right, she always likes to try to get in on my bits. <laughs> Because she knows my bits are just fabulous. Um, all right. So this photograph was actually photographs that were taken for insurance purposes. So they had to photograph the buildings and the site to show what state the buildings were in mm-hmm. to cover them for insurance. So if anything went wrong, they could go back and say, well, this is what the building looked like to yep. start with. Yep. In one of these photos, there is allegedly a ghost image of a young woman wearing a turban standing between the old plantation kitchen and the rear of Myrtle's house. Uh, now, there, there is a figure there, and we'll get um, Christy to pop a photo of that up there on the True Hauntings page on Facebook so that you can have a look for yourself. It's blurry. It's like a shadow figure. Yes, it could look like uh, a, a woman that may have a turban on, but yeah. there's certainly no details to it.
1: Yeah. They have had that picture... Um Scrutinised, yes. Digitally analysed, yep. And they do say that the um, dimensions do fit that of a human being. Yep,
0: yep. And that the original photograph has not been tampered with, so it's a it's a real photo Mm. of something. Mm -hmm. But apparently, uh, the ghost of Chloe likes to turn up on quite a few photos and likes to interact with people around Myrtle's. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's lots of uh, photos and. Problems with their cameras and a lot of the other ghosts will come and, and play along as well. The People find their cameras don't work, their cell phones work, other detecting ghost detecting devices don't work. Um, whatnots don't work. Yeah, whatnots, what-nots <laughs> are just not good there. They just don't work at all. Uh, but it seems that the spirits actually enjoy the encounters with the living at Myrtles. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. All right, we're going to move on. So
0: do yeah, we know? I, I will do- debunk at the okay. end. All right, okay, okay. I have I've built okay. this out so we've got a, okay. All right. a climax, Renata. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> I like to have a climax occasionally. All right. Okay. Occasionally. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Do you remember what they are? No. Okay. <laughs> Shut up and let me give you one. All right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh right. dear. Okay. okay. Keep going. Oh, no. I've lost my spot. <laughs> Look, it's there. It's right there, William, William. Right there. There. William there. Drew there. Winter. Okay. Right now we're on to William Drew Winter, mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned him, son-in-law of the Stirlings. Uh, so the story goes that he was shot in 1871.
1: Now, I'll... it's a for place. <laughs> it's
0: just a place. Well, I mean, it is <laughs> really, um. So he was shot at point blank range on the port. No, the, port porch. <laughs> the port? The port of thinking alcohol again. <laughs> I've got the vodka in the port. I'm going to make a cocktail. Um, so I'm going to read you the stories that I found. Yes. Right, okay. He yes. retreated into the home and staggered up the stairs to eventually die in the arms of his wife. And don't you dare start looking through your papers. <laughs> Heck. The sound of your strong and forceful stomp still linger in their home. today. As visitors report hearing heavy footsteps from empty staircases. Oh. There's actually a video on YouTube somewhere that somebody popped up of a possible ghost sighting on those stairs. And oh. it looks like uh, shadow legs walking past. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that it's a door closing somewhere where the light gets cut off so you know when your light angle changes it makes the shadows move yep um because they've got the banister and the the rails going up the banister um i'm sure that's what it is but check it out we might see if we can find that and put it up on the true hauntings facebook page as well uh now there is a haunted mirror according to hauntedwalks.com. One of the most disturbing paranormal reports occurs inside the home. In the grand hallway, there is an antique mirror just outside of the dining room. The visitors report seeing Woodruff's children appear in the mirror, those poor murdered little souls, Mm. uh, near the room where they were poisoned. Oh, darlings. Mm. Our researcher noted that each time the mirror is replaced or re-silvered, the same handprint reappears as if they refuse to be ignored mm. that's like it. that's sad now we do have some other ghost stories yep. Right? Yep. we've got um, of course the piano that plays chords I really couldn't find much on that either mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. apparently there's a piano that plays chords and mm-hmm. stops when you walk into the room yep. there are some visitors that claim to see Two small girls with blonde hair peeking through windows and appearing around bedsides. Mm -hmm. The girls are often heard and seen playing on the veranda that wraps around the home. Uh, Another amusing claim of ghostly activity is that somebody likes to mess up their beds. (laughs) I'd be slapping that ghost if I've just made a bed, which is a rare occurrence to start with, and they go and ruffle up my bed. I would be having words. I would be getting that exorcism happening. That's
1: true. And We all know how
0: well they work. Um, So, yeah, they say that the bed's messed up, uh, but that another ghost, most likely a maid, follows behind this playful ghost to smooth out the wrinkles. So isn't that amazing? You can walk into your room and look at your bed and go... I bet that ghost ruffled my bed and then that other ghost smoothed it out.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it, it doesn't look any different from when I left. That's that true. that, that um, housemaid ghost is just wonderful. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Is there a chocolate on the bed? Though? <laughs> now that's the sort of ghost I'd keep. All right. Uh, now, the other visitors to Myrtle's plantation have claimed to see Confederate soldiers throughout the property. Uh, one male apparition. Tells visitors to Stay away mm-hmm. Now there's some Other odd reports and I Tried really hard to find more Information on these ghosts mm-hmm. Couldn't find it anywhere and some of the Things I typed in I'm really sad that I did type it in because it brought up things That I really didn't want to look at <laughs> We get desperate after a couple of hours Yeah so a ballet dancer wearing a Black tutu oh, Why really? would there be a ballet dancer in a Black tutu Now, there is another one of a woman practicing voodoo and chanting. Of
1: course there would be, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the most
0: interesting claim, and this is the one that I'm really sad that I tried to type this into Google, Mm -hmm. was a beautiful naked Indian woman hanging around the gazebo. (laughs) Do not type in beautiful naked Indian woman hanging around gazebo (laughs) into your Google search engine, please.
1: (laughs) You know what's going to happen now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, A
1: thousand people. Yeah,
0: they will. Anyway. um, Now, there was another great photo that was popped up onto the website of Myrtles. uh, And it's of a young girl. Now, I I did print it off, but now I can't find it. And they've got quite a, a... description of the camera it was taken on and how they did it and it's been sent away to experts but it's uh, a mother and a daughter and then behind them they've got lace curtains mm-hmm. and then when you look at the lace curtains it looks like the outline of a small child standing there and it's really quite interesting. hmm It's a little too interesting for just matricing or pareidolia. Mm -hmm. Pareidolia. (laughs) Pareidolia. (laughs) Get the doilies out. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, the details are just too Too. much. It actually reminds me of the photo that I got of at Monte Cristo. Yeah. If it had been, if they had been standing in front of a lace curtain. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, so I will find that one and pop it up as well. Uh, and they, the photograph continues to travel the world, being thoroughly researched but still without explanation. They call it Ghost Girl. How's that for original? Now, the Francis Kermeen Myers, uh, Francis and James were only in their early 20s when they purchased the Myrtles. Did we mention them in the, the history? No didn't go that far okay so this is a fairly recent owners they've only just sold it not long ago to someone else mm-hmm. so she wrote a book called the myrtles plantation mm-hmm. oh how's great uh and she she tells us some of the experiences that she had so it's apparently they were just cruising by in a boat they saw it and went oh let's buy that it's for sale they didn't know the story they didn't know the history they just bought it how do you do that with your pocket money of course We don't know about that sort of thing No, Anyway. Uh, So they claim they knew nothing about the history of the house. She lived in the property for 10 years and documented her personal experiences, which basically seems to match what other people have said. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, including random footsteps on the stairs, lights that would go on and off without explanation, children crying, rattling doorknobs, and a presence when no human was in the vicinity. She also stated that a black woman in a green turban came toward her, and that her hand actually passed through the ghostly figure, which caused it to fade away entirely. She reported that this was just one of nine different ghosts, she says nine, that have been sighted on the property. During her time as the owner, she claimed that more than 1,000 reports were given to her from guests.
1: My goodness. Yep,
0: most similar to her own experiences, but a few others, such as a bed floating off the ground.
1: Wow. I want that room. Yes. <laughs> oh,
0: um, have been reported. Now we move to the latest owners, which is Tita Moss, who is an opal. Opalusa, uh, not an appaloosa is it a horse Op- <laughs> Opelousa, Apple opal lousa oh I'm sorry <laughs>
1: just step away from so that so she's a native
0: of the, the area <laughs> right. right um and her and her husband john moss own it purchasing it from francis and james now they did know that myrtles was haunted though I truly believe, she thought when she was buying it, she thought it's just a marketing scheme to sell a haunted Mm -hmm. plantation because it's going to bring people in. And it Mm -hmm. does. It brings people from all around the world, including us. Sure does.
1: Um,
0: So the first seven years, the couple and their two sons lived on the top floor of the mansion while the bottom continued to be a bed and breakfast for a travelling guest. Tita said that it was less than two weeks into their new life. She experienced her first taste of the supernatural when a ghost called out her name in her husband's voice.
1: Mm.
0: So we've got a bit of a mimic happening there. Her husband was not on the property at the time. Oh
1: okay, yep.
0: So her friend she called in a friend, a supernatural expert Mary Jo McKay, uh, and explained that the spirits were well welcoming her using a voice she was comfortable in hearing. Isn't that a lovely thing to do instead of frightening people saying it's a demon imitating your husband? Mm-hmm. No, it's the spirits of the land welcoming you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mary Jo McKay. Uh, The next thing, the same thing occurred, uh, but this time it was the voice of a childhood friend. Mm -hmm. But eventually she had an experience... That she was very thankful and she knew that she was being protected by the spirits of the Myrtles plantation. It was 1993. My youngest son Morgan was ten and a half months old and in the care of his nanny, sleeping in an antique bed with iron railings. I was in my office typing the menu for the, for the day for our restaurant. She said, In this Lauren Book Hall raspy voice, I heard, Check your baby. I disregarded it, thinking that my mind was playing tricks on me out of pure exhaustion, so I continued typing. Check on your baby, the raspy voice said again. Then I knew I couldn't ignore it, so I went to Morgan's room and sure enough, he wasn't there. I ran around the house yelling his name and finally, heading out the front door to the brick courtyard, there he was, toddling toward the edge of the pond.
1: Oh, wow. <gasps>
0: Isn't that amazing? When I held him, so she went around and grabbed him and swooped him up. And said, when I held him, a blanket, a warm blanket enveloped the two of us. So really that I could feel the fabric and the warmth. Oh. Then, then that voice, same voice said to me, you need not worry. Your family will never be harmed here.
1: Oh, isn't that lovely?
0: See, I bring the happy stories. Of- <laughs> <laughs> she said that was a transformation for me, and I truly believe the spirits uh are angels here to protect us. Any time I ever encounter them it is for a greater purpose. Oh, that's beautiful. Now that came from APnews.com that story. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great one.
1: Beautiful story.
0: Now uh, the the mm-hmm. big ghost hunting T V shows have been there. Yes, they have. And they've had amazing experiences. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the Myrtle's Plantation one with Ghost Adventures was actually quite a good episode. I think Zach gets possessed again. I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, but they've had Ghost Adventures there. They've had Ghost Hunters there. Um, when Ghost Adventures was there, I think uh, Zach wanted to get them to do some sort of voodoo ritual or something, and the lady of the house said, oh, no, 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 I know nothing about that sort of stuff. Uh, it turns out she actually does teach voodoo. <laughs> but you can understand that because that Zack is yeah. not a practitioner yeah. of voodoo yeah. and just willy nilly asking for you to do some sort of ritual for the sake of T V yeah. if if voodoo is your religion and sacred to you
1: mm-hmm. very disrespectful. Very
0: disrespectful. So yeah. But I understand why he's doing it as well. But they did find someone to do the the ritual um but they had residual noises show up like um slamming a doors, sounds noises a man in agony a door rattling uh they had equipment malfunction as the door was rattling the x cam stopped recording now i own one of the sls x cams and i know if you don't press record on the actual screen Uh, then it will automatically turn off. Mm -hmm. But it does have issues sometimes where it does shut down as well. One needs an overhaul. Bill, need your help. Um, They had caught an apparition. The thermal imaging camera picked up a dark mass manifested at the other side of the chairs at the same time the door was rattling and the X-cam malfunctioned. Now, there was a bit of physical contact. This was back when Nick was on the show. As Nick turned away from uh, the ball, the ball fell down the stairs on its own, hitting the X-cam that happened to capture it. Mm-hmm. So that, that was all rather cool. Mm-hmm. Then we have the ghost hunters that go in, and that was back in the days when they had Brian Hark Harknoy. Harknoy? <laughs> Brian tended to whinge a little bit, bless him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. Uh and they said that they had some experiences in there as well. Uh, the second floor, Grant and Jason investigated the staircase with thermal imaging cameras and immediately see a see-through green flash through the screen. So that could have been a flash outside that could have made the thermal camera arc up. In the gentleman's parlour, Brian sees something black move. And after Steve requests the entities make their presence known, they they hear a noise. Uh, they had some EMF spikes as well, but they actually debunked that. They went out to the uh, gazebo to try and find the Confederate soldier. But I bet it was the naked Indian lady they were looking for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they they didn't actually get to get there because they got called back. But as they came back, they scanned past some bushes and caught some sort of shape, which um, they, they can't quite work out what it is. And they heard the, um, the sounds like someone was running away. So it could have been a human. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Um, they also explained that children who guests saw in the mirror are probably the result of matrixing, which I would probably agree, uh and that the smudging inside and outside of that glass combined with the metal tarnishing tend to form the image of a face or a hand. And I mean if it depends what you're looking for, you're looking for a face or you're looking for a hand, you will see it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they did leave saying it is one of the most haunted places in America, okay <sighs> And then we found the other article (laughs) (laughs) here we go all right american hauntings com. so um the the ghost stories actually started to kick off when the house was sold to marjorie munson in the 50s uh and she was the the chicken farmer uh they started off fairly innocently but then they started to sort of take on a life of their own like chinese whispers Mm -hmm. the story the story grows. Now, for starters, Woodruff, who um, was depicted as a mean, nasty, horrible person, apparently wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was actually madly in love with his wife, never remarried after she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it was heartbroken. And people just accept these stories of fact because it's been told so many times now. Now, as for the murders of uh, Sarah and the two daughters, that's just been twisted out of proportion. Sarah was not murdered. She died from yellow fever and her children, a son and daughter, although that records there's three children, wasn't there? I think there was three. There was definitely a son involved as well as two daughters, did not die from a poison birthday cake. Um, and that the timelines don't actually match up because Uh, when that supposedly happened, when that daughter was nine, um, Olivia wouldn't have existed. Mm -hmm. So it's like even chronologically it could not have happened. But, you know, who wants to get in the way of a a great story?
1: That's true. I think they all died of yellow fever.
0: Um, Yeah, so he actually would have actually was not killed either. He died peacefully at his um, daughter's and son-in-law's plantation in 1851. And the biggest problem of all is that there is no record of a Chloe existing ever. She just doesn't exist. She was not murdered or hung, uh, as was claimed. But then again, you've got to look at the records of those times. Would records have been kept of this sort of thing? I think they did have to keep records of the slaves that they had bought and sold Um, this is out of our area of expertise Mm -hmm. so I'm sorry if we are saying something wrong here Um, but I think that they did have to keep some sort of record of slaves they've spent hours scouring the Woodruff records and there was just nothing, there was not a slave called uh, Chloe or Cleo or any sort of version of that whatsoever so how did that story get started? How did Chloe come into being as a ghost? And it all goes back to Marjorie Munson, who heard the local ghost stories, and uh, and she she actually wondered if the the house might be haunted. So she started to ask around, and heard about legend of chloe now according to the granddaughter of harrison and fanny williams lucille her aunts used to talk about the ghost of an old woman who haunted the myrtles and who wore a green bonnet They often laughed about it and it became a family story. She is never given a name. In fact, the ghost with the green bonnet from the story was described as an older woman, never as a young slave, who might have been involved in an affair with the owners of the house. Regardless, someone repeated this story of the Williams family ghost to Marjorie Munson and soon penned a song about the ghost of Myrtle's A Woman in a Green Beret.
1: Mm. So, so it's, it's gone from a bonnet to a beret, now to a turban in the end. Uh,
0: yeah, and it's also from an old woman to yes. a young woman. Yes. Disfigured young woman. So as the the story grew, the Myrtles changed hands and people kept adding things onto it. Uh, and during the... Um, ownership of Arlen D.C. and Mr. and Mrs. Robert F. Ward. The the story about the poison and the murders and the severed ear started to creep in uh, and it's just been passed on by word of mouth. It's, there is no basis to it at all, which makes me really sad. Ah. <sighs> So then the the Myers get hold of the place. They were coming through on a riverboat, just decided to purchase it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they took it to the magazines and the stories of the ghosts of Myrtle started to appear in magazines and books and received a warm reception from ghost enthusiasts throughout the world. Um, the house appeared in November 1980 in an issue of Life magazine uh, and a book came out about the house and... Uh, It's just taken these stories and turned it into a business. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So then the television crews started turning up as well and the stories started to change a little bit. Uh, And then we had like the 10 or 11 murders on the property. But there is actually
1: only one murder. Yeah. One. Yeah. That is
0: documented. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And he was killed out on the front porch.
0: Yeah. And he actually died on the front porch. Yes. He yep. died, he got shot, and he died on the spot. The, whoever did it took off. They never actually got to work out who did who it. Did it. Mm-hmm. So it's an unsolved murder to this day. They've got speculations that it was something to do with gambling debts or something like that, but nobody really knows. Yeah.
1: And the story is that he goes back into the house because of the, the haunting on the stairs, yeah, where they talk yep. about him dying on the stairs in the arms of the beloved wife. The beloved wife.
0: Yep. Now, in I, I, I actually read a lot of books when I was um, researching this. So the books I sort of took a look at was a Haunted History of Louisiana Plantations by Cheryl H. White and Ryan Smith, Haunted Louisiana by Sarah Ashley, Haunted Plantations of the South by Darren Gray. Now that last one. I was a little bit mortified when I read the opening statement on that one because it said, History tells us at least 10 murders have occurred on the grounds, the most famous being the story of Chloe. History tells us. Mm -hmm. No, history does not tell us that at all, actually. (laughs) If you look at the history, it says, no, there was one murder. How can you make a big sweeping statement like that? Mm And it's obviously no Mm -hmm.
1: research has gone into that. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. But it's printed and it's out there. And there will be a lot of people that will pick up that book and go, oh, look at this. Um, And it's, it's not surprising that that happens. That happens a lot. Yeah.
0: Now, my final thoughts on this whole thing. I'm going <laughs> mm. because I said to you before Renata if we go we'll find the ghost because we're special mm-hmm. only special people can see the ghosts, that's right uh but the truth behind a lot of these uh ghost stories is the violence and the the horror that was happening at the time. There were slaves that were treated poorly. There were slaves that were raped. There were slaves that were disfigured. There were slaves that were hung and no recording mm-hmm. made of it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a hot pot, a conglomeration of, I should say a jambalaya, of uh, the the truth of the history of the location, which have then become ghost stories that are told,
1: because mm-hmm. it's not—it's like it's not good enough for um, a um, an officer um, or the spirit of an officer to go past, or um, the the ghost of a child to be seen, or um, something to happen without it being identifiable. It's like it's it's not a good enough story. Mm. You have to identify it and then embellish for yeah. people to go, oh, that's a really good ghost story. Yeah. But in actual fact, most of the times these spirits aren't identifiable. Yeah. They're random and they happen on occasion And by giving them a name, it doesn't necessarily justify the place as being more haunted Mm -hmm. because we've given this person or this spirit a name. Um, It may have absolutely nothing to do or not be real, but yet there are other spirits there that people encounter, and obviously people do encounter spirits there because there's lots of stories. Just not the ones that are made up. Yeah. And uh, people
0: are making their experiences fit the stories that have been told. Yeah, um, they, they see something go past them out of the corner of their eye. Oh, that must have been Chloe. Mm-hmm. They haven't actually seen a green turban or a, a, a lady uh, with a disfigurement. They've mm-hmm. just seen a shadow go, oh, that's Chloe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're,
1: they're feeding into it. But um, would it be haunted? I reckon it would. I reckon it would just because it is where it is. It's got a long history. Uh, lots of death did occur at the yeah, house. Yeah, a lot of sadness. Lots of sadness. Um, turmoil around the area. Certainly it is a, a magnet. Yeah. But um, whether it's haunted by the spirits that it's known to have, I uh, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either, but I would definitely say there's something going on there and we need to go and investigate, Renata. And we shall. And we shall. So thank you for joining us for this week's episode of True Hauntings podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. We need some of you beautiful people to leave some great reviews for us. If you're on iTunes or you can even just go over to iTunes and leave a review for us, we would really appreciate it. Don't forget to join us on our True Hauntings Facebook page. i think it's a group uh and also on our youtube channel we've got a great new youtube little series going up called Anne and renata's misadventures Mm -hmm. um as so uh, much fun if you want some laughs head over there subscribe to that watch our videos give them a thumbs up and you'll have a ball i swear but ladies and gentlemen it's it's time see you on the dark Dark side. side
2: thank you for listening to this episode of true hauntings if you like the show give us a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you're listening right now for more on ann and renata follow at ann and renata on facebook instagram tiktok and youtube